We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. As I met two chains a few minutes ago, As I gazed into his face, I felt that I was in the presence of royalty. There's a certain power presence that he gives off. to the Roadwire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here with friend of the program, James Anderson. It is June 22nd, draft day. We are mere hours from the start of the 2017 NBA draft. James, uh, I'm out in New York covering the draft for Roadwire tonight. Uh, you were back in Madison. What, what's the feel uh, around the office today as, as people speculate about what the Milwaukee Bucks are going to do at, at number 17? Uh, there hasn't been... Uh, much chatter at all honestly really you wouldn't even know uh that it was that it was the nba draft uh there's there's honestly probably more nfl talk going on in the office which you know i'm happy to be in the media room right now i I find that completely hard to believe that that cannot be true yeah i mean you you left and and everything kind (laughs) of kind of went out the window all all, everybody uh, all dignified decorum went out the window and people just started (laughs) 
uh, randomly talking NFL loudly and uh, for long periods of time. I'm very sorry that you've been subjected to that. Um, I, I, about an hour ago, I, I left and went, walked out to get coffee and a bagel. And man, there's a palpable buzz around the city. Let me tell you, uh, even, even, even here in uh, in Manhattan, or as we locals call it, the Lower East Side. Um, I mean, I think everybody here has draft fever. You and I recorded uh, maybe our best work ever, and no one can verify this because it didn't save. We we laid out like 80 minutes uh, of draft content in a podcast on Monday, and then the computer crashed with like five minutes to go. Uh, so unfortunately, that was lost. But I did want to revisit something that we talked about at the beginning of that podcast, and that was a question that I think a lot of people, especially myself, have kind of been struggling to answer over this last week or so. And that's like, where does 2 Chainz's new album rank in terms of all-time works of art, music or otherwise? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry if I kind of catch you off yeah, guard. Yeah, you, you are I catching I didn't give you a lot there. of time to prepare for this. I haven't, uh, I haven't listened to the new 2 Chainz, and I don't think I will. But Did your headphones break or something? Nope, nope. Headphones are functioning. I've listened to, the honestly, the only 2 Chainz... Uh, album i've ever listened to was the collie grove one with him and little wayne and okay so that that's 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 my exposure to two chains other than random stuff that gets played on the radio or at the the bar and or in my car yeah or I think just that's fair. or just terrible guest appearances where he comes on songs of, of artists that i really like and and ruins them for for an 80 second stretch have you ever won a grammy because two chains has <laughs> no i mean if, if winning a grammy means that your music's good then i guess that that would be something but obviously i think i think in general winning a grammy typically means the music is good um i mean of course you disagree you wanted for a chance to, for a chance the rapper song, but does Chance the Rapper win the Grammy without two chains? I think it's kind of a chicken or the egg situation. I suppose. How excited are you? This this will be the last non basketball question, I promise. How excited are you for this Jay Z album that's coming next week? I think. I'm at a, about a zero out of ten. And, and this is uh, Jay Z is like your guy, right? Right. Jay Z's so, uh, my favorite, my favorite rapper of all time for sure. But he, he hasn't put out, he hasn't put out like a good album since Blueprint Three, and even that was kind of below his normal standards. He hasn't put out like a classic album since the Black Album, and the Black Album was released when I was still in high school. So that's, I mean, he's he's that far removed hey. from releasing high quality albums i mean blueprint three was when i was uh maybe like a junior in college uh so that's i mean that's still a long time ago uh i mean his last album was really 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 pretty bad uh minus the the song with rick ross which i can't uh i can't say the name of the song on the podcast but that that's a really good song but the rest of the album's uh mostly trash I mean, I'll listen to it, obviously, but I'm I'm just my my expectations are incredibly low. What was his last album, Magna Carta? Yeah. Okay, I'm trying to think of what Rick Ross song you're talking about, and the the name is escaping me. Oh, mm, yep. Okay. 
Yeah, probably a good idea not to say that one. But that that song bangs. But like that does bang. I mean, there there are a couple. There I mean, there are a other couple other on songs there. on that album that I like listen to. Like when it first came out, I would listen to them a little bit. I mean, but I could I couldn't make it all the way through. You can't put that album on and just let it go. You have to be constantly hitting the next the next button. Yeah, it's not it's not like track. a two chains album. I totally agree. <laughs> um, okay, let's let's uh, let's talk NBA. And before we get to draft stuff, we we should touch on the Nets Lakers trade and the Hornets Hawks trades that that happened earlier this week. DJ and I did a pretty comprehensive breakdown on the pod yesterday, so we won't spend a ton of time on this. Um, but real quickly. If you just had to say who won this deal, uh, Nets or the Lakers, the Nets got D'Angelo Russell and took back Timofey Mozgov's contract. The Lakers got the number 27 pick uh, and Brooke Lopez, who's on an expiring deal. Uh, the the Nets won. It, well, I mean, the, the Lakers lost. They just lost in life when they made the, the Mozgov uh, signing and the the Luol Deng signing so like they just they're disqualified from winning these trades because the only reason they have to make these trades is because of how stupid they were in the first place but uh theoretically clearing Mozgov's contract will allow them to go get a you know one or two stars in free agency and so that in in that sense it's something they probably needed to do that kind of tells you just how little uh, or just how you know lacking the market was for for people to take on that deal the fact that they had to throw uh D'Angelo Russell who's either their their best asset or their their second best asset uh other than the the number 2 overall pick but i mean that this is a perfect trade for the nets this is like the the model way to to kick off a a legit rebuild is by taking on a contract like that 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 doesn't really affect you cuz you're not you're not competing. You're not in the free agency game, really. By the time that's off your books, you'll still be kind of in the process of your rebuild, and you get to take on a guy like D'Angelo Russell, who I, I still think is has a chance to still be a, a top 15, top 12 point guard in the league. Yeah, I mean, I, I think people still have their doubts, and rightfully so, about D'Angelo Russell. But what I said to DJ yesterday is, if you're the Nets, for Brooke Lopez's expiring deal – um, you're not really going to do much better than a player that, that has D'Angelo Russell's upside, right? I mean, I, I think they pro- they probably had other players who were in a similar category, maybe that they wanted more. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think you were going to find a team like L.A. that was willing to give up an asset like this for what's a pretty low cost because Brooke Lopez was probably not going to re-sign in Brooklyn anyway. Um, and, and I think if you look at it from the Lakers' perspective, you know, you're losing D'Angelo Russell. Um, but at the same time, this this pretty clearly shows me that one they're confident that that Paul George and and perhaps another max player are coming next summer and two maybe they didn't love the thought of moving D'Angelo Russell off the ball uh to play with Lonzo Ball who now with Russell out of the picture seems extremely likely to go to LA at number two if that's in fact where they stay tonight um and the other thing is the Lakers don't have their pick next year so they don't really have an incentive to be bad, which is a departure from the last three years of of the Lakers organization. Uh, and Brooke Lopez is clearly an upgrade over Timofey Mozgov. So all of a sudden, you know, you're not worrying about trying to keep this top three pick uh, because it's, it's, you know, it's leaving your franchise no matter what. Yeah. And you, you get Lopez's contract off the books next year, 
which is sure. So I mean that like it's it works well. I mean it, it's a it is a win win for both sides. But like but, you said, neither team should even be in this position in the first place. The thing that sucks is that like I I really wanted to see them move Jordan Clarkson somehow along with the Moscow or Den contracts. The neck that could still happen. Uh, I just think I think Clarkson is a guy that you just absolutely got to get out of there. I think Russell and Ball can play really well together. I think they're both uh, they just really understand how to play. Uh, I know that might seem weird saying about D'Angelo Russell, but like he he's an extraordinary passer when he's you know when he's completely bought, bought in. And I think just having two guys like that that can pass and shoot at the two guard spots with with good size and, and Ball and Russell would just be really, really fun to watch. So it's a shame that they had to get rid of one of them and, and they still have Clarkson on the roster. I think Clarkson's just uh, a guy that you you got to try to unload sooner than later just because I, I don't see him uh, as a winning player going forward. But, um, I mean, th- they can still make moves. I think they're, they're still going to be involved in the, the Paul George – uh, trade stuff that's going on. It's just going to be a matter of what what the Pacers can get that might be better than what the Lakers are offering. Right. So, I mean, what are your expectations for D'Angelo Russell in Brooklyn now? He he becomes instantly their best asset and instantly their most talented player. Um, I mean, DJ was starting to talk about it a little bit from a fantasy perspective yesterday, and it's like, and is it unrealistic that D'Angelo Russell could average like twenty two points per game? next year because he's going to be the focal point you would think of what's a team that's still not going to be all that talented yeah i think that's unrealistic i think i would put it at like maybe 16 points a game and maybe six assists per game so i think that that's that's kind of where i mean jeremy lynn is a competent player i mean he he's a guy that he 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 might outscore D'Angelo Russell next year. Uh, I, I just not I, I think, if D'Angelo Russell has anything to say about that. <laughs> I I just think we're too. We we just there's there's no way I could go out there and say Russell's going to go for twenty plus a game. Like if, if you put like if if like uh, the Timberwolves traded the Nets like a guy like Zach Levine, and you know but when he gets healthy, I think he could go average like thirty a game for the Nets. But, like, Russell hasn't proven that he can even be, like, a consistent 15 points a game type of guy. And he's been playing on – and last year he was playing on a team where, like, sure, they had, like, slightly more options than the Nets. But it's not like there were all these, like, guys that just needed needed volume. I mean, he if he was that type of guy right now, I think he would have shown more flashes of it last year. So I I think we're still a couple years away from him – approaching 20 points per game but i think he can be a guy that gets you know five six assists per game and uh shoots a lot of threes rebounds fairly well for the position uh does a little bit in terms of steals i just i think we're we're still a couple like i love getting a guy like russell but i don't think he's ready to all of a sudden next year be the guy that we thought he was going to be when he went number two overall i still think we're a couple years away from that I think it's been really tough to evaluate him. One, he hasn't even averaged 30 minutes per game in either of his first two seasons, and that's kind of bizarre considering the situation that L.A. has been in. But as a rookie, he had to deal with Kobe Bryant. Last year, you have a new coach, you know, a new system, you know, some new teammates. They're trying to integrate Brandon Ingram. 
so I, so I think in, in any ways that's made it really hard to determine exactly what he is. So like from that perspective, I think it's a good move by the Nets because everything seems to have gone wrong for D'Angelo Russell and people are still pretty high on him. So I think, you know, going to Brooklyn isn't exactly a great situation. I mean, they're not as, they're not as dysfunctional, I guess, as an, as an organization, at least right now, uh, with Sean Marks running things as the Lakers had been over the last couple of years, you know, it's a downgrade from a surrounding talent uh, standpoint, but I think he's going to get kind of the individual attention and, and nurturing that, that he needs there that maybe he wasn't going to get in L.A., especially had they added Lonzo Ball. Uh, let's talk about Hornets Hawks. This is a trade uh, that went down while Dwight Howard was conducting a Q&A on his Twitter. Um, this is a trade that I texted you when, when I first saw it went down and, and asked you very seriously, is this the saddest NBA trade that you can think of? Uh well, yeah, I mean, it's it's really pretty sad. I mean, it, I, I assume Dwight Howard's semi-confused. It, it reminded me a lot of the screenshot you sent me of Michael Carter-Williams responding to his mentions of, of Sixers fans thing, saying thank you. Like, I feel like Michael Carter-Williams and Dwight Howard are kind of in the same place right now where they're just really confused as to, to what's going on. Yeah, that we should probably delve into a little bit more, the Michael Carter-Williams thing. So as soon as the the Sixers-Celtics trade, I th- actually, this was before it was even finalized. I mean, so I think it was Friday or Saturday, it, it was essentially going to be official that Boston was going to move back, Philly was going to move up. They just had to wait to actually file the trade to the league office on Monday. So I believe it was on, on Sunday, Philadelphia fans were just flooding Michael Carter-Williams mentions with just thank you, thank you so much, and... And Michael Carter Williams was responding to like a ton of them and just asking like for what, what for, what did I do, why are you, why are you saying this? And like, I think it took him a little bit, and it took him several people responding to, for him to be like, oh, oh, right, you're thanking me because I was the basically the, the the player involved in the trade that ended up giving Philadelphia the assets to move up to number one. So yeah, that was pretty sad. Uh, one that Michael Carter Williams somehow didn't understand what they were talking about, uh, and two, the the fact that he was the rookie of the year starting point guard for this franchise, what, three years ago? And now he can barely get an NBA minute. But this, yeah, I, I think that's a good comparison. This trade, I mean, I don't even I don't even know how to describe it. Like the Hornets are are not only giving up two players, yeah, you know, and granted, Miles Plumley and Marco Bellinelli, you know, Miles Plumley's contract is about as bad as Dwight's and Bellinelli as, as hasn't given them anything. But even more bizarre, like you're, the Hawks are moving back ten spots in the second round, while they are giving up future first ballot Hall of Famer Dwight Howard. Yeah, and uh, it's it's it makes that Bucks Miles Plumley trade look even more insane. Like in hindsight, that 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 Charlotte was willing to do that, and then. Then, like, they realize, like, two months later, like, oh, crap, like, we got to get rid of this contract we just traded for. Like, what, what's going on in their front office? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, Plumlee's making $12.5 million each of the next three years. I mean, Dwight's only on the, on the books for two more years. But at the same time, if you're Charlotte, um, I'm going to try to bring up their, their cap sheet this is a team that didn't make the playoffs last year that thought they had the roster to make the playoffs and in many ways still probably does. I mean, I, you, just on paper, they're probably a top eight team in the East. 
But you don't have a ton of roster flexibility. I mean, you got Howard, Batum, MKG, Marvin Williams, Kemba Walker, Jeremy Lamb, Cody Zeller, Frank Kaminsky. All of those guys are under contract guaranteed for at least two more years. So, you know, well, if you're a Hornets fan, you're probably not thrilled with the idea of Dwight Howard, you know, coming to town, just considering the reputation that he's picked up since leaving L.A., but I don't really know what else you can do with the, the situation that you're in cap-wise. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I just don't see any way that a team that's going to presumably be, be playing Michael Kidd-Gilchrist and Dwight Howard a lot of minutes has any chance of making the playoffs. Like, even if, even if you look at their roster and just say, like, on paper, these are, like, four or five pretty talented guys, like, they should be able to make the playoffs in the East. Like when you when you're when you have Michael Kidd Gilchrist and Dwight Howard out there, the I mean today's defenses are just going to be able to really limit what you can do. So I I just I think they're a team that is just in in about as bad a spot as you can be in as an NBA franchise where they have you know a guy like Kemba Walker in his prime, a guy like Nicholas Batum who's who's kind of still maybe at the, the very end of his prime or, or slightly on the way down, but it's a team that really just has no, nothing to look forward to at all, like for the foreseeable future. Right. I think that's a pretty good way to put it. And yeah, you have some assets that you like Kemba Walker, even Jeremy lamb, you know, still shows flashes every now and then Marvin Williams is a good starter. People like kid Gilchrist, Nick Batum is great, but I, I don't really know how tradable a lot of those guys are. You know, you're, you, you, it's hard to see those translating into, you know, a package involving, you know, really high upside young players or, or a couple picks if they really want to embrace a rebuild. So I think they're they're kind of just stuck where they are, at least for the next couple of years. Um, Jimmy Butler, Paul George, you want to talk about this stuff at all? Uh, not particularly i don't i mean i don't i just don't know what we can really add that hasn't already been said a billion times by yeah tons of people all right well let let me just ask you this who if one of these guys gets traded tonight who's it going to be who's more likely uh paul george i think i think that they're in more of a rush than the bulls are i think they should be i don't know that they are i mean there were reports yesterday that kevin pritchard is prepared to take the to you know take this negotiation into training camp uh i think they probably and wrongly are maybe holding out a little bit of hope that paul george becomes eligible for the supermax but at this point i don't even know if paul george would sign it if he was eligible like i i, I feel like at this point he's just he's just moved on and he's resigned from the fact that that, that he's just not going to play in indiana yeah i mean i i don't think you can afford to not move him right now if you're the the Pacers even though I think that it's a legitimate possibility that he could qualify and that he would accept that super super max like I just don't think you can roll the dice when the odds the odds of him qualifying for it and accepting it to me are below 40 percent maybe below 35 percent so to me like if you're going to go into the season and that's just your one hope, I mean, you're, you're really, you're really gambling there. And and I think that there's going to be an offer. Well, they're not going to be able to get the type of offer they want. Like I think they'd, you know, if, if any of the teams in the top five are just offering that pick straight up for Paul George or, 
maybe even any of the teams in the top eight were offering their pick straight up for Paul George. I think they'd jump on that. I don't think they're going to get that kind of an offer, but I think they'll get something where you know a team offers them a semi-interesting young player and maybe a pick in the late or in the early teens, something like that. Uh, I mean, there are going to be other teams that are interested at Paul George at the right price, even if it's just for one year. Well, uh, according to Stephen A. Smith, LaMarcus Aldridge is, quote, very, very unhappy in San Antonio right now. I'm reading this on on Real GM as we speak. Um, is Stephen A. Smith credible as a source at this point whatsoever? No. I don't think he is, right? I mean, he, he has, like, the, the ESPN affiliation i guess but i I feel like you can't really take that seriously um but i just want to get that get that out there i don't really want to talk about that rumor at all porzingis we have to touch on i i I think i'm probably a little bit lower on porzingis than most people are but at the same time like he's, he's still a great young asset and not a guy that if i were the knicks i would be looking to move especially in the context uh, in which Phil Jackson is talking about this and saying that you know they would they would have to move him as they look toward the future. Kristaps uh, Porzingis is what twenty years old, twenty one years old. I, I don't see how that guy, who's on a rookie contract, isn't a part of of your future. Um, but at the same time, if you really want to force yourself to take Phil Jackson's side, the argument that I could come up with is. I guess if you're a smart GM, you're always open to fielding offers just in case something, you know, crazy tantalizing comes across your desk. I mean, is that the only way that if you're a Knicks fan, you can maybe justify this? Uh, I mean, I I don't think you can really justify anything that the Knicks do. (laughs) Uh, But like I saw a report that they are looking for a top five pick. So they're they're. Only they've they've contacted all all the teams picking in the top five. They want one of those picks, and then they want a young player that's on kind of a star level trajectory. So theoretically, that would mean like they want Scal in the number five. They want Devin Booker in the number four. They want Jalen Brown in the number three. They want you know Ingram in the number two. Did you, did you just say Scal is on a star trajectory? I mean, he's the only player on the Kings that I think remotely fits into that description. I, mean, I think for that, I think it would have to be Scal five and ten. Sure, right, yeah. I mean that that's that that works too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, right. So yeah, Scal five and ten, and and uh, that's basically. I mean, that's basically kind of the same to me. That's the same type of haul as like Booker and four, or. You know, maybe Jalen Brown and three. Although I think I'd take Booker and four over Jalen Brown and three. Um, oh yeah, but for sure, I, I think so. I but, think they want Josh Jackson, so it does. I think getting to four is where they want to be. You know, because uh, as of right now, it, it seems like Boston favors Tatum at three and, and Ball to L.A. at two. Would you trade Boston, or if you're Boston, would you trade three and Jalen Brown for Porzingis? Yes, I would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it in a heartbeat. I would think about it. It's more about giving up number three. I'm. I'm not crazy high on Jalen Brown. I think he's a good player. I think he's going to be a very fine NBA player when it's all said and done. But giving up that number three pick is what I would be a little more worried about. I. I don't know. I mean, do you think New York does that? 
is Jalen Brown enough of a good young player for them? I mean, I think I, I don't I mean, we, we don't think we, we're in agreement that they shouldn't even be going down this road. But since they're going down this road, to me, that's a type of trade that they would at least think about it. I mean, if you're thinking about trading Porzingis and you want to get it in the top five and you want Josh Jackson, I mean, that to me, that's a trade that you obviously are, are discussing. Yeah, I, I, I suppose so. Um, I mean, the Suns, I guess, have been the team that have been most closely linked to this. The Knicks apparently spoke with them on Tuesday and requested, like you said, the number four pick and Devin Booker. And the Suns uh, have since reportedly told New York that Booker is not going anywhere. It, it just straight up as a prospect, like, do you, for the next five years, would you rather have Booker or Porzingis? Porzingis. And it's not, right. it's not really that close to me. I think from like a pure talent perspective, maybe it's close because Booker's really good at what he does. But if you're talking guys you want to build a young team around, I think Porzingis is the harder player by far to replicate. You you can find someone who's maybe not quite as good as Devin Booker at the age that he's at, but you can find somebody you can find something closer to Devin Booker than you can uh, find someone closer to Kristaps Porzingis. Right. I mean, I, I think the Suns are probably a little too high on Devin Booker. Uh, just but i mean it's understandable like they 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 nailed that draft pick and i think a lot of teams when they nail a pick kind of in that seven eight nine you know late lottery range and it's like clearly one of the steals of that draft i think they get a little too attached to that player because they're they're so proud of themselves for for hitting on him and then you had the uh, the big game from him this past season, but I, I just think the game, the the game uh, that that they lost. Uh, but the you know he doesn't d up at all. He doesn't make his teammates better at all. He's a very unique scorer, but I don't. I mean, he's a, he's an excellent shooter, but I mean, Porzingis can impact on both ends. I think he. His offensive game, I think, is a little underrated. I think he's got a ton of different ways that he can hurt you on that end. So I, I think that he's easily a better prospect for me long term. And I'm not saying I would do that trade, but you know, it's it's something I would discuss. I mean, I think you. It depends how much, how in love you are with the guy you think you're getting at four. I, I for the sake of, you know, just chaos i guess uh i want this trade to happen during the draft if it's going to go down like I, I want the knicks to deal porzingis have that be announced at the arena everybody boos and then the knicks take laurie markinen if, and i i don't if, even know what would happen at that point I, you, I honestly don't know if you were the Suns, would you do it if you're getting the eight pick back so porzingis and number eight for booker number four yeah I, uh, I think so. Yeah. I'd, I'd if you, that. to me, because I mean, Porzingis is on a rookie deal, and he still has at least you know two or three more years left on that, depending on options and whatnot. It, you would you would want to at least have a good feeling about him staying long term, right? Which I, I think he probably would. I, I don't I don't know what his preferences are in terms of where he wants to be or what type of situation, but you know, like I think Devin Booker is really happy in Phoenix, and you have a, a pretty good thing going with him. So, you know, not not that it's translated to a lot of wins just yet, but to me there would be a little bit of hesitation 
uh, because you know, like you're, you like De- you Devin Booker's not D'Angelo Russell, you know, like he's not this expendable guy necessarily who like, yeah, you're always kind of checking the market for deals for him. Like you'd be giving up on something that's turned out really well for you, uh, for the chance that's something that could be better, but also the chance that, you know, you could end up taking a step back in the long term. So I don't know, it's complicated. And like you said, I think that's a good point that they're probably a little more attached to Devin Booker because they did hit on him where they did than maybe they should be. Yeah, and I, I would just say that while I, I like Devin Booker more than Malik Monk and Laurie Markinen, I think those are guys that would be available with that eighth pick who I think are fairly comparable in that they're elite shooters who probably aren't going to do much for you on the defensive end. Okay, so let's get into more NBA draft talk. Um, we'll go pick by pick, and we'll talk about what we think the the most fun scenario would be uh, versus what the team should actually do with that pick. So we can zoom through these first few. Philly, I think the most fun scenario is Markel Fultz, and I think they should take Markel Fultz, and I think they're going to take Markel Fultz in about seven hours here. Yep. L.A., I think same scenario. Lonzo Ball is super fun, and they should probably take him. Agreed. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have necessarily said that prior to the D'Angelo Russell trade, but yeah, now that now that he's no mm-hmm. longer there, that's that's a that's a lock. Okay, so here's where the fun starts. Boston at three. I would go Josh Jackson. I think if you polled a hundred people who follow the draft closely, Josh Jackson would win out. But everything we're hearing out of Boston is that they have Tatum higher. I still think it's Jackson, and I think that I'm I'm partially factoring in the potential for a trade. I just think that there's, to me, there's a big enough gap between Jackson and Tatum as prospects that I think one way or another Jackson goes number three, whether it's a team trading up to get him or just the, the Celtics kind of coming to that realization i mean if you if you just want to not care about defense and passing then i guess you could say tatum's a better prospect but i mean those are clearly we've we've seen in the past couple of nba title runs that defense and passing are are pretty important and jackson's a guy that can you know he would he would fit in perfectly on this Celtics team. I mean, you could have a lineup out there where you have, you know, maybe four, maybe even five guys that can switch on anything and are just going to be causing a ton of havoc on that end of the court. And if you have a guy like Tatum out there, I mean, to me, he's he fills a need, I guess, because they they have a hard time scoring in certain situations, but. You know, I I don't know. I I think that the the gap. I mean, unless you're just terrified about Jackson's shot, which I don't know. How, how worried are you about Jackson's shot? I guess I, that's that's really the only question to me. I mean, I, if you if you think that he's going to be able to figure it out, I I kind of do. Then I don't really think it's all that close between him and Tatum. But I mean, I guess you could you could argue that there's enough to be worried about, especially with the the free throw shooting that that you could make a case for Tatum. I had this argument with the guys out here last night, and we basically said the same thing. I think 
the concerns about his mechanics are a little overblown. I, I think it's actually a pretty good looking shot. I think he shoots it a little bit further away from his face, I guess, than most players do. But he shot the ball really well from three. He's a decent mid-range shooter. His touch seems fine. Um, but like you said, the free throw shooting is odd. You know, there's not much of a precedent for good to really good three-point shooters in the NBA. Not only being average uh, free throw shooters, but being like really bad free throw shooters. I mean, Jackson was hovering around 50% last year. So that would seem to imply that there, that there is a mechanical issue. Um, but, you know, it's not like you're watching Michael Kick. Gilchrist or or even Lazo Ball shoot the ball and you know Ball's you know just an example from a pure mechanic standpoint like Josh Jackson I, I think will be able to figure it out um, he's been talked about like he's a Tony Allen or something you know it's like yeah he's, he's so athletic and he's a good passer and he's great on D but like he's not teams can't just ignore him from three so uh, I think that's been a little overblown overall and, and like you said I think if and when Josh Jackson is on the board at number three and especially if he falls to number four, but Boston and Phoenix, their phones are going to be ringing off the hook with trade calls. I mean, Woj tweeted this morning that there is a, quote, tremendous appetite around the NBA to move up and take Josh Jackson. So I think a lot of teams are in the same boat as us, as we've said multiple times on this podcast. Players that are as good all around as Josh Jackson are very, very or it's very infrequent that they're available uh, at number three overall in any NBA draft. Right. And that exactly. So like you, you might have like, say the Celtics are just whatever they, they don't, they're upset that he didn't come in to work out for him. So they're thinking about passing on him or the Suns for whatever reason, I, I think there's some reports that they might even like Tatum and Fox more than Jackson. Like if you're hearing that and you're the other 28 teams that, the team picking three might not be taking Jackson and the team picking four might not even have him atop their board when the pick gets to them. You're obviously calling and you're, you're doing everything you can to try to try to get up there because you clearly value the player more than the team's picking there. So that's, I just don't. And, and there's another player when we get down a little further in the lottery where I don't think it's a good fit where I have him going, but I just think there's going to be such an appetite for teams that see him still there and are going to just inevitably trade up to go get him, even if he doesn't make sense at the team that's picking at that number. Yeah, I think he's a versatile enough player that you could kind of make a case for him to go just about anywhere. You know, it's like, I don't know what the team would be. You know, in theory, it would be the highest bidder moves up to three or moves up to four to get him. But just about any team, I mean, Miami at 14, you know, Portland could find a way if they move some players around. It's like, it, there's no team that's like nope we're sorry we're we're completely set on these six eight super athletes who can pass and play d like we don't we don't need that guy so i i think any team w- will be willing to to make a reasonable offer uh and like i said i think i think phoenix uh, especially if he falls to four is gonna have uh quite a few to choose from so uh all right or go ahead well okay so i just wanted to ask you uh we were talking we talked about this offline uh and then i once once you answer, then I can throw up my my crazy dark horse for for number three, which is it's legitimately crazy. But I thought about it late at night, and and I love Bernard is it, not going number three. It it made it okay. So my theory is that Boston, part of the reason why they want to do that Kings trade back where they would get five and ten, is because I think uh, Laurie Markkinen would be possibly just the best fit 
if you just look at their current roster and the players that are available uh, because you're getting a guy that uh, slots in next to Al Horford or can even play the five when Al Horford's not on the court that can legitimately stretch the floor at an elite level and they don't really have anyone like that I mean it'd be like super super version of Kelly Olynyk, I guess and when Kelly Olynyk was hitting threes in the playoffs they were pretty much unbeatable now that was only for like a game that was, that was literally for like a quarter and a half <laughs> but but I mean if if you have a very good version of Kelly Olynyk on that Boston team I think their offensive ceiling just goes way way higher and it would be absolutely insane for them to take him at number three but I think if they thought they had a chance of getting five and ten and then getting Markinen at number ten which I think is completely in play that's that's part of the reason why I think Boston wanted to to make that trade with uh, the Kings so badly. But are so every, you... everyone and well, everyone assumed that they wanted to make that trade so they could package five and ten for a star. So you, you think they just didn't want? Or the, I would say it's partially they didn't want to deal with like the backlash of taking Laurie Markin at three, and they, at the same time they also you know you're picking up another asset and you can still get your guy at either five or ten. Yeah, I I just think they have. I think the Celtics board, like if, if you just looked at their board, I think it might shock people like where they have guys or where or I don't think that they're super in love with any one player in this draft. And I think that they have a lot of these guys just really closely uh, mashed up. And I think if you, you play it out, like one of the reasons why this is such a tough mock uh, or such a tough draft to mock is that you have guys like uh, Laurie Markkinen and Dennis Smith, who to me are just are really high end prospects, but there's just no obvious fit for them at when you get to a certain point. And so, you know, a guy like Markkinen being available at ten or even past ten, I think is completely in play. So I think a team like Boston that might have him very high on their board would would love the idea of moving back into the middle to towards the back of that lottery. Teams should be required to release their draft boards after the draft. That'd be amazing. That would be really, really fun. And you mentioned Dennis Smith. I think he's another guy that, you know, once he, you know, inevitably we get to like picks five and six and he still hasn't gone. Uh, you know, teams like Sacramento, teams like Orlando, Minnesota, and even New York are going to start getting calls because I think there's a lot of teams that probably value Dennis Smith as a top three or four guy. Uh, and, and most mocks that you're going to see today probably have him projected anywhere from eight to 12 yeah okay so let's get back to to the exercise we were doing so we'll pick up with phoenix most fun scenario for me is somehow lonzo ball falls to four or they move up and get him i, I think lonzo in that offense would be a ton of fun what they should do is unless they can get a really really juicy trade probably just take josh jackson and keep him Sure. I mean, if Jackson's there, I think that that's a, a great pick. Uh, I think the Celtics are, I think Jackson goes three, whether it's to the Celtics or someone else. And I think Phoenix takes Tatum. I think Isaac would be the, the best fit there if, if Jackson's not available. Yeah, if you believe in, in the, all the positives that Jonathan Isaac brings, I think you can make a case for him just about anywhere. Uh, to me, he's just a little bit more risky still at this point. And not that Josh Jackson is a complete lock, you know, to, to be an NBA star or anything. But 
to me, it just feels like Isaac is is still a little bit of a step down in terms of how raw he he still looks at times on offense. Sacramento at five. You know, I I guess it's probably De'Aaron Fox that's most fun, and the fact that De'Aaron Fox really wants to play there, and the the Kings are in desperate need of a point guard, that that seems like it makes sense. Although if it were me, I think I would probably go with Dennis Smith. Yeah, I think I would. Man, um, I think Dennis Smith would be the most fun because I think Dennis Smith, like getting his own team. And just getting to put up crazy stats on a on a bad team would be pretty fun, but I think Fox might make a bit more sense just in terms of if you don't want to always be a bad team. I think Fox might make make more sense. Oh, and then we don't know that the Kings want to be a good team. They haven't really given us much reason to believe that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Fox does. Fox is a really good compliment to Buddy Heald. You know, I, not that Heald is like a horrible defender, but I think he. Those two are a very interesting backcourt together, and, and, and I think the ceiling, the ceiling with Fox isn't as high as it is with Smith, but I think his floor is probably uh, at least a bit higher. You know, the health concerns aren't really there. He's not a great jump shooter, uh, but at the same time, um, you know, he, he's a player that's that's a good free throw shooter. He's been capable of, of hitting in the mid range. It, it just seemed like something that you know, with a full summer and an off season to work on. Um, you know, it's hard to really see him, you know, being like an Alfred Payton type in a couple of years. Speaking of Alfred Payton, the Orlando Magic at six. From what I've seen, Jonathan Isaac to Orlando is probably the most popular projection uh, as of the morning of the draft. Um, I, I think, is there really a fun scenario for Orlando? I would hate to put anybody in that position. Well, I think it would be fun for Alfred Payton to not play as much. So I think them taking a guy like Dennis Smith would be fun in that it would just uh, lessen the amount of Alfred Payton that we have to watch. Uh, but, I mean, it's it's kind of obvious why like Isaac is keeps getting linked to the Magic because the Kings keep getting linked to Fox. It's kind of a, you know, I think on a lot of boards, Isaac's ahead of Fox. But because the Kings just keep getting linked to Fox, Isaac, and and nobody seems to have uh, him going to the Celtics at three or the Suns at four, which neither neither would surprise me if, if either of those teams took Isaac. I mean, if you, if you get to six and Isaac's still out there, he's clearly the guy if, if you're just looking at, you know, what what teams are probably valuing. Like Isaac over Monk. Isaac over Smith, Isaac over Markinen. I mean, these are pretty easy calls, it seems like. So it's kind of obvious why he keeps going six in a lot of these mocks. Right. If you're to assume that Orlando wants to hold on to Alfred Payton, then I think it's pretty clear that it's Isaac. You know, and Isaac, Aaron Gordon, front court as your three, four, who can switch everything and are super athletic and super long. That's actually kind of fun. I, I should take that back. That's a fun scenario. That's well, maybe the only fun scenario. But. I also wouldn't fault Orlando if they decided to, you know, this is new management. Rob Hennigan is the guy who drafted Alfred Payton. He's no longer there. If this new regime comes in and John Hammond says, we don't want Alfred Payton, and you take Dennis Smith, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad move. No, and and I think the best the best thing about the Isaac-Garen Gordon pairing is that you can run a lot of lineups where Isaac or Gordon, whoever you want to say is the de facto five, is basically playing center. 
and you can run like a a fast kind of modern offense whereas when when Vucevic is out there you're you look like you're playing in like 2002 but you know Isaac's Isaac's the one guy that is expected to kind of go in this range that could allow you to go with sort of a more modern small ball lineup with with Gordon at the four and Isaac playing the de facto five all right so Minnesota at seven does does Laurie Markkinen really fit with them he fits for what they need in terms of shooting this is one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league last year you know Carl Towns is a good shooter but not a great volume shooter Andrew Wiggins has gotten better but again the volume hasn't really been there and you don't really get anything out of Gorgie Jang from that spot I I like Laurie Markkinen as a potential stretch fit next to Towns but Minnesota was horrible on D last year Towns and Wiggins have both underwhelmed in that department, and we already know for a fact that Laurie Markkinen is going to be a major work in progress on the defensive end. Yeah, I think there's a lot of Markkinen backlash that I, that really annoys me, and it seems like the same people that have that don't like Markkinen as a prospect also seem to not like Luke Kennard as a prospect, and I, I kind of wonder why that is. Um, but like. He he's he's more agile on his feet than I think you would you would expect most seven footers to be. Uh, the rebounding concerns are are legitimate, but I mean I, I think he's an easy top nine prospect in this draft. I just don't see. I think the T Wolves might be the worst possible fit for him just because of the defensive issues. So I I have them taking Malik Monk. I mean, I, I don't think he's going to be a great defender either, but I think you could at least talk yourself into, like, if he's buying into the scheme, he could give some people some trouble. He could uh, theoretically guard a lot of all point guards and, and a lot of two guards just because of his uh, lateral quickness and athleticism. And I, I don't know. I mean, if, if they've kind of decided that they're sort of done with Zach Levine as a as a big part of their future, then they they kind of have a need at at the two. Uh, but I, I just I, I think this pick is as likely as any in the top ten to get traded, just because I don't see any obvious fits for the T Wolves. Yeah, and I think they want to find an accelerant to get them back into the playoff race too. So I, I think this this pick will very much be on the market if they do keep it. If it were me, I would trade either Ricky Rubio or Chris Dunn and just take Dennis Smith and make him your guy going forward. That's what I would do. Um, I don't know that they think that same way. But I think there's a case for Malik Monk as well. And in the mock that I'm going to publish on the site this afternoon, you know, assuming Minnesota keeps it, that's who I have them going with. And it's a little bit redundant, you know, when you look at what Zach Levine brings to the table. But, you know, I, I think he's in some ways he's some he's Zach Levine insurance if, if Levine isn't you know that the player that he was once he gets back from the ACL and it's not like Minnesota has this great bench and it's like you know worst case scenario you're bringing either Monk or Levine off the bench as your sixth man yeah and I mean if they can't trade it it's there there's a lot of talent that's available here at seven so I think whoever you grade out as the best prospect I think is probably who you should take sort of regardless of fit because I mean, they're not as close to competing as a lot of people thought. Obviously, the Zach Levine injury complicates matters. I think that they should consider shopping him. I think they they should consider shopping anyone who's not Carl Anthony Towns. Honestly, I mean, they they can they could improve 
a lot of places. I, I don't think there's any market for their two point guards. Otherwise, I think they probably already would have traded one of those guys. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I think Monk makes as, as much sense as anyone. And and like I said, I think a trade to me is just as likely as any of these players. Would you trade Andrew Wiggins for Jimmy Butler? It would have to be Wiggins and something else, uh, salary-wise, like Andrew Wiggins and Cole Aldrich for Jimmy Butler. If I were the T-Wolves, I would definitely do that, yeah. Do you think the Bulls say yes to that, or would they demand number seven or a future first? Uh, I mean, it, it, like, would they? what about like Wiggins and Dunn? Would the, I would do that. Would the Bulls I, do that? The Bulls really want a point guard, so I think they probably would do that. Like this is a team that traded for Cameron Payne, and if they value Cameron Payne that highly, just imagine how they value Chris Dunn. That's a scary thought. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, and they they wanted Dunn. I mean, didn't they want Dunn before last year's draft too? Like that. Yeah, well, that's that's what the deal was. I mean, it seemed like for a couple minutes we had a done deal, and it was going to be Butler to Minnesota, and the the, the Bulls were going to control that pick and take Dunn, and then for whatever reason the Wolves backed out. Yeah, I mean, I I think that that trade. I'm not sure I would do it if I was the Bulls, but I I think if you're high if you're higher on Wiggins or if you're higher on Dunn than I am, then I think it might make sense for both sides. Okay, so. Where are we now? Um, New York at eight. I think it's going to be Frank Tilakina. Um, you know they they seem to love him. They seem to think he's a good fit for the triangle. Uh, he's pretty raw. I don't know what we would see from him in year one. This is clearly not what they should do, though, right? I mean, if Dennis Smith is there, I think he's the more obvious choice. I think I think Malik Monk is is a better fit for them right now. We just don't even know what direction the Knicks are going in, and it kind of hinges on this Porzingis situation. Yeah, they've been linked to Tilakina. He, I mean, physically, I think you could make a case that he's the most impressive of all these point guard prospects in the draft. I mean, he just he looks like a kind of traditional two guard, almost like a more athletic. Uh, traditional two guard but he's playing point guard uh there's a lot of questions about his like first step which to me is is huge if you're if you're playing the one and you and you have a hard time getting by guys uh but i mean he's a a good shooter he's probably a better shooter than smith probably a better shooter than fox uh i mean th- there's a lot to like I'm, i don't think it's like a crazy idea to take him at eight but yeah i'm i'm with you to me there's a gap between him and Smith and him and Markinen just as as prospects. But if you're just looking for someone who can fit perfectly into the triangle and you're keeping Chris Stapps, then I guess he makes sense. Yeah, I think that all makes sense. Um, you know, how far could you see Tilakina dropping? I, I've, I saw a mock this morning, and I forget where it was, that had him at like 15 or 16. And I don't think he makes it that far, but... The, he's still a relatively unknown commodity and you know he hasn't worked it out for all that many teams it's not inconceivable that that if he somehow makes it past new york at eight and dallas at nine you know that we could see him slip a little bit yeah that that wouldn't shock me just because of the players that are in that like to me there's a, a clear tier of of nine and 
Uh, you obviously have the Knicks and the Mavs linked to Tilakina, so he could disrupt that tier and push one of those guys to 10 or even outside the top 10. But if, say, the the top nine guys all go in with the first nine picks, then all of a sudden you've got guys like Donovan Mitchell, Luke Kennard, Zach Collins, John Collins, guys that I think a lot of teams could realistically have ahead of Tilakina on their boards, especially if they don't necessarily need a point guard. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he fell out of the lottery. I think that he makes sense with some teams like, you know, Detroit to me is a place where he would make a lot of sense if they're kind of ready to move on from Reggie Jackson or, uh, you know, Denver maybe if you if they want to go get like a true point guard and, and play Murray off the ball a little bit more. Um I mean, there are definitely places after Dallas that are still in the lottery where I think he makes sense, but it, it wouldn't surprise me just because I think Tila Kina is kind of in a tier with four or five other guys. I think Detroit's moving that pick at 12, um, but if, there, if there's a team that really likes Tila Kina and thinks they can develop him, you know, maybe, maybe Detroit moves back and, and that's where that happens. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Dallas at nine. I think the most fun scenario and what they should do is take Dennis Smith. And if he's there, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Right. Like I, I think Smith's good enough to go in the anywhere from five, six, seven, but for all the reasons we've kind of touched on, it wouldn't be surprising if he's there at nine. And if he's there at nine, I just, I see almost zero chance that the, the Mavs pass on that. So Sacramento at 10, we're assuming that they're going to take Fox at five, it would be really fun to keep Fox and Malik Monk together. I think that's the most fun. Yes. Uh, then I'm not, saying of, it, I'm not saying it makes a lot of sense, but it would be fun. It'd be fun. It just would sort of suck. Uh, the Buddy Heald thing kind of screws a lot of that up. Like I, I think, uh, you know, I think I think if you had say De'Aaron Fox and Donovan Mitchell. And Buddy Heald, I think that that would make some sense just because Mitchell's a guy that's going to defend uh, and you could maybe run some some of those three-guard lineups out there. But if, if you're running a three-guard lineup of, of Fox, Monk, and Buddy Heald out there, I mean, you're just going to get completely lit up by the other team because of, of Monk and, and Heald's defensive inefficiencies. So I, I just it's – a, it's a pretty bad fit. Uh, I think I think Mitchell makes a lot of sense at ten. I think that they, I think that Markinen is too good of a prospect to fall past ten, which is why I think I have the I have the Kings trading that pick to somebody because Markinen, in my mock at least, is still on the board at ten, and I think some team, it, it could even be a team like like the Spurs or just you know a team that's just not even close to the lottery that that might have some young assets where they they see Markinen still on the board at 10 and decide to get aggressive and and go get him so I I think one way or another Markinen doesn't fall out of the top 10 but uh, I don't think he's a great fit with Sacramento so I'm trading the pick yeah well I mean now that LaMarcus Aldridge is for sure gonna force his way out of Sacramento (laughs) they they need a forward so it makes sense no I'm with you though I think 10 is going to be available I think I think the Kings are going to get their guy at five and unless someone slips that they really like which you know which is maybe in play I mean it it could be like last year where you know Phoenix traded with Sacramento 
to get Marquise Chris because they were higher on Chris than others and they saw him there and they just made their move. So if there's a guy there that Sacramento likes, I'm sure they keep it. But, you know, you could see, well, could they move back? You know, maybe Portland packages two of its first rounders, you know, say you give up 15 and, you know, 20, whatever, 26 to move up to 10 and Sacramento, you know, gets those other two picks and something like that could maybe happen. Right. And and, I mean, like the the Kings, I think there's there's a lot of legitimate buzz that they might actually like John Collins the most at at 10. And so in that scenario, it doesn't make any sense for them to not trade back. Like you trade that pick to Miami for 14 plus something or you trade that pick to Portland for those two picks. I mean, if you're going to take John Collins at 10, you should just trade back and take John Collins a little bit a little bit later. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't see Collins really going, you know, too much higher. Uh, I had a chance to talk to him. He was actually super funny and was really, really engaging uh, at media availability yesterday. It was it was just me and one other reporter at the time that I was talking to him, and the other guy was from Australia. And he he asked John Collins who his favorite Australian player ever was, and he we ended up having to kind of combine forces and provide him with a list. And do, do you want to guess who he said? Uh, <laughs> it was a very, very awkward interaction. I'll say that. No, I, who who did he say? He said Patty Mills. Oh, so there's that. If you're if you were wondering who John Collins' favorite Australian basketball player ever is, it's Patty Mills. That works for me. I love Patty Mills. Yeah, I, I do as well. Uh, okay, so Charlotte at eleven. I don't know. I mean, we touched on their roster composition. They're one of those teams that, like, you have a guy at every position, and in, in some cases, you have, you go too deep with pretty good players. But as we saw last year, that roster wasn't really good enough to result in anything special. I mean, I think they just have to go best player available. To me, if he's there, that's very clearly Donovan Mitchell. Right. I mean, this is this is assuming. I mean, th- they can't take. I can't. I can't imagine them taking a guy like Laurie Markin, and if he's there, it's just such a hilarious fit given their other uh, big men. And well, they they just gave up one of their white big men. That's true, but they still have a couple more. Um, what's the? I mean, I don't know about the new CBA, but like, if, what's the maximum white shooting big men you can have? Is it three? I think it's two. I think it's two. So they already have. They're Frank, already, they're maxed out. They got um, Zell, uh, yeah. But uh, you know, I think Canards in play at eleven. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's sort of Mitchell versus Canard to me is interesting. It's like, what do you value? Do you value the the shooting, or do you value the the defense and the athleticism and the measurables? Uh, I think which which one which one is which in that scenario? <laughs> I thought I thought Kennard was both. Um, that's true. Uh, I talked to Justin Jackson about the Hornets. You know, he's a, a UNC guy, obviously, and he said he's met with them. He said he got good feedback. And I was like, you know, have you talked to them recently? Did Did you think them trading Marco Bellinelli is maybe a minor indication that they want to free up a spot at shooting guard for you? And he was like, Oh, I had no idea that they even traded Marco Bellinelli. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's a tough. I I wouldn't have even. It's like Hornets trade for Dwight Howard. Yeah, uh, right. I like, know. I mean, it's not. It's not like the whole deal was, man. We need to clear a spot at shooting guard yeah. so we could draft this guy. But um, you know, I mean, the, the only shooting guard they really have on the roster right now is Jeremy Lamb. 
Right. I mean, I think Kennard makes more sense that shooting guard than than Jackson does. I think Jackson's a a three in in the NBA. I, I think he's a he is a two because he has the advantage there in terms of height and he can play the two. But yeah, I think he'll swing between both. Whereas Kennard, like you said, is definitely a two. Detroit at twelve. Uh, we touched on this one. I think they trade this pick, uh, but if not, best player available. Denver at 13 is interesting. Are we starting to get into OG territory? Yeah, I have them taking Ananobi, but I, to me it's like 40% Ananobi and then like 30% Collins and 30% the other Collins. Like I, I think one of the two Collins or Ananobi goes 13, assuming that there's not something weird happening and those guys are all gone. Yeah, I didn't even realize that we haven't mentioned Zach Collins at all. I I think Collins will be gone. I, I should have mentioned him with Sacramento. I think he's a really good fit there. I mean, the Kings already have, you know, like you said, rising star slash future MVP Scalabissier. Mm-hmm. They also have Willie Cauley-Stein. And Cauley-Stein's a defense-first guy, but I, like Zach Collins is probably a better rim protector right now even than Cauley-Stein is. He's not as versatile in terms of his switchiness and what he can do on the perimeter and running the floor and things like that, but... I, I think Collins could go off the board as high as maybe nine to Dallas, but ten to Sacramento makes sense. Um, if he's still there at thirteen, I guess I would say Zach Collins is probably the pick. But like you said, John Collins will very much be in play as kind of a long-term replacement, maybe behind Darrell Arthur and Kenneth Fareed. And then you know, Ananobi, if he if he was healthy, I think we'd be talking about him closer to the top ten. Do you buy into any buzz at all that the the T Wolves might go completely off the board and take a guy like Collins or a guy like Ananobi at seven just because they want a defender, or would that just be super crazy and they wouldn't want to deal with the uh, the backlash for that? If it's Collins, I could see it happen happening i don't think that's that much of a reach and, and not that i don't like ananobi but i, I think the t wolves are a team that like really really desperately wants to compete this year not necessarily for a title but just for a playoff berth and with ananobi there's really no guarantee that you're going to get him for x number of games so i think that in some ways would scare them off and it's, it's a little bit short-sighted i guess um but collins yeah there's a case to be made for collins and it's kind of the same situation that we laid out with Malik Monk where it's like yeah they have Towns and they have Gorgie Jang worst case scenario you just have Collins as your first big off the bench because Minnesota really doesn't have a bench yeah I and I in a previous mock I actually had Collins going seven I think that he uh would fit really really well with with Carlante Towns in certain lineups um and i you know, maybe Ananobi makes more sense than we're giving credit just because of his, I mean, his return timetable might line up kind of well with, with Zach Levine's timetable. Uh, so, I mean, are you really, I mean, with, with the Levine injury, are you really expecting to win more than like, I don't know, 42 games this year? I, I don't know. It, it seemed, it would, I mean, they it, shouldn't. It would be absolutely ridiculous for them to, be making moves with the intention of trying to get like the seven or eight seed this year. I think you have to kind of chalk this up as 
another developmental year. I mean, if you end up winning enough games to get in, that's cool. But I think just with the the factors at play, I think trying to compete this year would be would be pretty silly. Yeah, I think last year acted as a wake up call in some ways for you know where this team actually is versus where people thought they were on paper. And in the long term, maybe that's a good thing. Miami at fourteen. That's where I have OG. I think it makes a lot of sense from, I mean, Miami's a forward-thinking organization. They're, they're not a team that's going to be worried that, oh, he might only play 30 games as a rookie. You know, they, they, they kind of know where they're at in the long term. And, you know, I, I think selfishly as a fan, you would want him to go to that world-class training staff that you would think would, would get him back to where he needs to be as soon as he can be. So I think if they were to go that route, they would go Harry Giles. I think that he fits, theoretically, if you're getting um, even just like 80% of what we thought Harry Giles was going to be, then I think he's a a perfect fit uh, for them next to Hassan Whiteside in the front court. And, you know, if you're going to just gamble, I mean, mean, if you're going to gamble on an injured guy, I don't know. I think think Giles makes as much sense as as Ananobi, but... um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I have Ananobi going to the, the Nuggets just because I, I think the lack of wings is going to push him up boards. Like, I, I don't know if he's necessarily a top 15 player if you're just looking at it in a vacuum. But, I mean, if you want a wing, he's he's basically the last guy. Or or Justin Jackson, I guess. Those, those are the two last guys that you could take if you're one of those teams, 12, 13, 14, that wants a wing. I think teams are going to be calling about Ananobi too because especially good teams, you know, you start looking back into the 20s and, you know, uh, like a Toronto, a Utah, um, you know, San Antonio, like the teams that don't necessarily need this instant impact guy uh, and mm-hmm. who can kind of who can kind of afford the, the extra year that it might take to kind of bring him along after the injury. You know, those, those are the teams that might be willing to, to kind of bite that bullet. All right, well, we don't need to go pick by pick through the entire first round. That would take forever. But let's do... Hmm. Oh, yeah, I guess I asked you this on the pod that didn't record, and I, I want to get your answer again. Uh, who, who are the one, two, as many guys as you want to name who you found that you're quite a bit higher on than most other evaluators? Uh, I like DJ Wilson from Michigan quite a bit, Uh just because I think he kind of fits sort of a modern big man type of stereotype where he can guard three positions, he can shoot it. Uh, I think he could work as a four sometimes, a five sometimes, depending on who else is out there with him. I think that's going to get him drafted probably in the top 25. Uh, he's number 20 on my board. Um, let's see. You know, I like... I like PJ Dozier a little bit. Uh, just you know, if, if you've if you've missed out on the guys like Jackson, uh, maybe a guy like Terrence Ferguson, OG Ananobi, if you've missed out on that that kind of run of wings, I think Dozier. You could argue maybe him and Semi Ojele. Uh, maybe those are like the next two guys. Maybe a guy like Jonathan Motley. Um, I could see teams getting aggressive about those guys just because they 
are just kind of out on that crop of big men who who just don't really fit today's game all that well. And then I'm I'm high on Frank Mason. I I don't know if he's going to go in the first round. He might go in like the first ten picks of the second round. But of of these guys that are kind of rumored to go between picks like twenty five and forty, I'm. I'm incredibly confident that Frank Mason's going to have a seven or eight year NBA career. And I think he's going to have a stretch of maybe three or four years where he's playing meaningful minutes on a pretty decent team. So I guess in that sense, I I like him. I don't think he's a guy that is ever going to be a starter on a good team, but I think he's going to be a a pretty solid rotation player on, on a good team at some point in his career. So I think I'm a little bit higher on Justin Patton than other people are and I know you like Patton uh, as well and you know he's a guy that I I wouldn't take in the lottery but I would be pretty comfortable taking if I'm Portland at 15 Chicago at 16 Milwaukee at 17 you know basically any team that's picking between 15 and like 22 uh you know OKC's in there the Nets are in there Atlanta's in there as well as all the other teams I just mentioned like all of those teams could use uh, a high upside big man. Um, and all of those teams don't exactly have this like super clear path to contention right now. And I could kind of see taking the risk on a player like Patton who came out of nowhere. He's a redshirt freshman. No one knew who he was a year ago. Um, but I, I mean, I, I, I had a chance to speak with him for a while yesterday too. And he was, he was really impressive. He, he was pretty confident about where he's going to fit in the NBA. Uh, he's a guy that, maybe spends time in the D league as a rookie or actually, I guess it's officially the G league now. Uh, although I want to go on record and say, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be calling it the G league. Is that okay? <laughs> I just, I don't like it. It's the D league. Yeah. It's the D league. It's going to, I'm just going to, you're going to have to deal with that. It's the D league. Um, but from what I've seen of Patton on tape, I, I think it's a pretty rare set of skills for a guy, you know, with his length, his ability to pass, um, and and just kind of what he brings mostly on the offensive end defensively he's got a ways to go um but but he's the type of player i would risk it on you know in the in that 15 to 25 range oh also he said that his nickname is the big muddy so just keep that in mind well i i don't even want to know why that is but um we definitely agree you know i I have I have Harry Giles ahead of him, which you might disagree with, but like just of the the Patton, uh, Anik Bagu, Jared Allen, Bam Adebayo, Ivan Rab, uh, T.J. Leaf, Tyler Lydon, that that whole run of big men, I like Patton the most. Like if I'm just going to roll the dice on on which one of these guys is going to develop into a guy that can protect the rim and shoot threes, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with Patton out of that bunch. Yeah, I'm I'm going to ride with the uh, Harry Giles is going to be a huge bust opinion. Okay. Uh I I just don't see it. I I was told that he was a lot like Amari Stoudemire in high school. That very well may have been the case, but the player that we saw at Duke looked a hell of a lot more like Al Jefferson than Amari Stoudemire. And you know, I mean I get it. Like it's you know, he's not that far from knee procedures and you know, I'll, I'll you know, another year will help him get his athleticism back, but like, what can we realistically expect? Even if he goes somewhere with a great training staff and they help him out, like, this guy's not going to gain, he's not going to gain back, like, seven inches on his vertical. I mean, he, what well, did he have, like, a 32-inch max vert at the combine? Like, that's not very good. My argument is that 
what are you going to realistically get out of anyone that goes in the 15 to 30 range? Like if, yeah, you can identify guys that you're pretty confident are going to be able to be like your seventh man uh, in two years. You can identify guys like that and you can identify guys that have upside, but that could just as easily bust. Like I just don't see the downside of taking a guy like Harry Giles once you get outside of the lottery and guys like Zach Collins and John Collins and OG Ananobi, once those guys are off the board, like to me, taking Harry Giles makes as much sense as rolling the dice on any of these big men. Like who who's more likely to be an NBA starter on a good team out of Harry Giles and Justin Patton? Like to me it's you could argue it's Giles. And to me, you can you can make that argument with pretty much every every other big man that's that's expected to kind of go in that fifteen to twenty five range. I guess I I would feel differently if Harry Giles had like an awesome half season at Duke and then tore his ACL in January or something like that. Like we never saw anything from him that looked remotely like this, you know, can't miss lock number one prospect that he was in high school. Like I just, I just don't, I, I don't see how he gets it back necessarily. Like it's obviously the skills haven't left him. You know, he, he can still do the things basketball wise that he did in, in high school, but it's the same thing that you see with a lot of big men. You know, if you lose your athleticism, and, and you're a type of player that relies on that athleticism, all of a sudden you, you have to find other ways to, you know, to score. And I, I don't know that Harry Giles is going to be able to do that. And like, like what, like what is his ceiling at this point as, as a player who isn't going to be a great athlete and who was a great athlete at one point? Like, I don't know, like a Greg Monroe. I just don't think I'm not willing to say that he's not going to be a great athlete. Like I, I know that he wasn't, at Duke and I know that he didn't test all that well I just I think that there are ways like NBA teams have ways of getting guys back from injuries where they not only regain their their prior athleticism but like like Jabari Parker was a better athlete when he came back than he was before the injury I thought and I mean, I, I just I'm not I'm not willing to say he's not going to be a good athlete. So, like, if you want to say he's definitely not going to be a good athlete going forward, then sure, I I'll put him way down my board. But I think that I'm not willing to rule out an NBA uh, training staff's ability to kind of coax that athleticism back out of him. Fair enough. All right, uh, choose one of these players. Let's say you're you're a GM and you're on the clock at whatever pick these guys. Uh, you know, whatever range that they're going to go, and you have to choose between one of these two, who are you taking? Jordan Bell or Caleb Swanigan? Uh, so I I switched to Bell. I know you asked me when we first recorded this, this question, and I, I said Swanigan just because I thought he, you know, at this, this current moment in time, he's a better shooter. Uh, but I'm going to go with Bell just because I think you can – you can leave him out there like if he develops a shot i think he's a guy that could guard two to three positions and is a is a pretty good passer just has a really good feel for the game so i'm just going to gamble on bell developing a shot it might not happen but i just i think there's going to be certain times where Caleb Swanigan just can't be out on the court because he can't defend anyone that's out on the court so uh, i think that 
that gives Bell the edge. Yeah, I think Bell has a lot more potential value in the NBA. You know, like it's it's fairly easy to say, okay, like you could pencil him in as like your eighth or ninth man on a pretty decent team, and it's like he could he could get on the floor for just about any team. Whereas Swanigan, I, I guess Swanigan's ceiling is maybe a little bit higher just because he is so skilled and he's taller, uh, even though he's not quite the leaper that Bell is. Um, but but at the same time, uh, I, I think Swanigan is, is one of those players that you say he has to go to the right spot or things could go south pretty quickly. Like he, I think he's a guy that could go to San Antonio at, what, 29? And, you know, that would be the – everybody would kind of facepalm and be like, oh, my God, he's going to San Antonio. He's going to be great. But if Swanigan goes to, I don't know, the Magic at 33 or the Kings at 34, you know, we might not hear from him for a couple of years. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think his range is really kind of anywhere from like nineteen to like forty nine. <laughs> like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he went. Yeah. kind of anywhere. No, I mean, there's there could be a GM who just loved him as a college player, and you know, I don't know, like OKC at twenty one or something. If they love him, whatever, sure. Uh, okay, Juwan Evans or Frank Jackson? Evans, I'm. I'm Correct. I'm kind of getting out on Jackson a little bit. Uh, you know, there was on a on an unnamed podcast I listened to. There was a lot of talk of just how bad uh, combo guards are. And while I don't think that logic applies to guys like Luke Kennard and Donovan Mitchell, I think it absolutely applies to Frank Jackson because you know he's not he doesn't have an elite skill like shooting or defense or ball handling. Like he's just kind of this athletic guy who isn't a great shooting guard, isn't a great point guard, has enough pedigree to where he'll probably get drafted in the top 40 picks, but I just don't see him carving out much of an NBA role. I like both of these guys. Uh, I think Frank Jackson's really interesting as more of a, an athlete who you probably mold in the D league for a year or two and then to see what you get. But I, I love Juwan Evans. I won't go on too much because I already have probably for a, a combined like 18 minutes on multiple podcasts. But I think he, I think he's going to be really good. I think if he were a couple inches taller, we'd be talking about him as a lottery pick. And, uh, that, that's all I'll say about that. I, I don't want to get going too far. Oof. Dylan Brooks or Nigel Hayes, James, uh, Dylan Brooks. Okay, I know that that probably was a little bit hard for you. It, I mean, it it honestly wasn't hard. I don't think either of them are NBA players, but if I had to pick one to be on my NBA team, I would go with Dylan Brooks just because he, I don't know, he sort of can score. Choose your words very carefully. He he sort of can score is what I'll say. Yeah. Like I don't well, more more or less he can score. What, what like what can Nigel Hayes do? Uh, apparently you haven't watched many Wisconsin games. No, I mean, I, I think Hayes, the, the appeal with Hayes is he has size. Right. He, but he, he kinda, can't, he, he, he has does a size. lot of things well. He does a lot of things well, but he doesn't do anything great. And he also does some things not well, such as shoot free throws and shoot threes. Like, I, I honestly, I don't really know what the appeal is at this point with Hayes. I, I think it's, uh, there is, I think there like, is no like, appeal. Just don't worry like about the, it. He's not, he's right. not going to get drafted. I don't think he will. I don't think he will. I think that if you're drafting Nigel Hayes, your your number one appeal to him is that he has a high basketball IQ. 
and that's that's kind of where it begins and ends. Well, I mean, he he measures well, like like he, he does. He has he a seven three wingspan. He has the type of size that all these teams are looking for on the wing. He just can't do anything with it. Sure, sure. All right, Bam Adebayo or Justin Patton? Patton. Okay, we're we're in agreement there. Harry Giles or Ivan Rab? Giles. This one, I hate to you know enter a caveat into the situation, but it's totally it's totally dependent on like, do you want the sure thing or do you want to gamble? Like, if you're Portland, it's Harry Giles. If you're OKC at 21 or Toronto at 23, maybe it's Rab because you don't want to take that chance. I just don't. I mean, why wouldn't you gamble when you know what the sure thing in Rab is? Like, you know, you're just getting like a big man who's going to be like your seventh or eighth man off the bench. Like, why wouldn't you just? Well, some some teams want that. I don't know. Like, if if you're getting a guy who could be your Taj Gibson type, who's like a a pretty good NBA forward for ten years, like I don't I don't think teams would be all that disappointed. Man, I think that's that's awfully optimistic to think that rab could be taj gibson who who thought taj gibson was going to be taj gibson and like what are we talking about man it's like it's not like taj gibson has ever sniffed anywhere near an all-star game no but he i don't think that's out that's not out of the question for uh, rab all right all right okay donovan mitchell or frank tilakina i'll go with tilakina although i have tilakina 10 and mitchell 11 on my board so it's it's not by much but i just i like the i i have a better faith i have, I have more faith in tilakina being a serviceable starting point guard in the nba whereas i think mitchell's role will be it could be like this excellent sixth man it could be just kind of a a weird like shooting guard who can't d up a lot of shooting guards and maybe guards the other team's point guard like i i just i just feel more comfortable about tila keena's eventual role i i really like donovan mitchell he's grown on me he was great at the combine I mean, 610 wingspan and 40 inch vertical I, I think defensively his potential is, is off the charts i think he'll be able to guard both guard spots pretty easily uh laurie markinen or zach collins markinen i i love I'm, the I'm shooting team, i'm team collins here I think you you really you'd be hard pressed to find a big man that shot as well as Markinen did at such a young age and also dealt with the kind of going from Finland to Tucson and like that not slowing him down at all and I I just think that it's you you can say that like yeah he's not a good rebounder he's not a great rim protector so who cares if he's seven feet tall well the thing is like the other team can't put like a six six guy on him because he has some moves in the post and you know that that just would be a huge mismatch so you still have to put one of your big men on him and that's that's the whole advantage of him being seven feet tall it's not that I mean he's he's not going to protect the rim. And he's going to be a below-average rebounder for his position, but I think he's just going to be such an elite shooter. Like I, I think he could come into the the league and shoot forty-four, forty-five percent from three. It wouldn't wouldn't be that surprising to me. Justin Jackson or Luke Kennard? Uh Kennard. 
I just I I have more faith in him being able to do one thing really well than I do Jackson. And to me, Jackson's defense actually could be a bit of a liability. Like I think he looks like he should be able to be one of those guys that can guard two or three positions, but I don't even know if he can guard one position at an above average level. Jackson needs to add strength. That's for sure. I I think to me, it's, it's Jackson fairly easily. If you believe that he's the three point shooter that he was last year and not two years ago, I mean, it it was like a 10 percentage points difference. And if he regresses at all from three, I I would give the advantage to Kennard. All right. Two more Dennis Smith or Malik Monk. Monk, but I have Monk 8 and Smith 9, so it's really close. Uh, I just think – I don't think Smith is a winner, which is sort of a pathetic thing to say. But oh, could you of all people saying that? Like, well, I, I'm, I've been saying that about DeMarcus Cousins for like four or five years, and we keep disagreeing about that. But um, – you know, I think I think Smith to me is just one of those guys who he's going to make some crazy, crazy plays. Like there, there's he might have some of the best highlights of his first couple seasons in the league out of this entire draft class, and he is going to score on some guys who we view as amazing defenders and and kind of make them look silly. He's gonna just put up crazy stats. Like I think he's in the mix to win rookie of the year if he goes to the right team. But I also just don't think he has a good feel for like when he should be doing certain things on offense, especially for a point guard. Like I think he, he's going to want to take over the game in certain spots where, where he really can't do it. Uh, He, he doesn't really defend, even though that's an area where he should be really good. Whereas I think Monk, in the right situation is a guy that uh, could, could really excel. I mean, for him to, to do what he did on a, a really good Kentucky team as a freshman says a lot more to me than, than Smith putting up the occasional crazy triple double on a team that was supposed to go to the NCAA tournament and didn't even come close. So is, is Smith closer to like a Tyreek Evans than he is Russell Westbrook? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think he's maybe closer to like a Stefan Marbury. Or yeah, I, I, the comps I've heard with him are Marbury, Steve Francis, and Baron Davis. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he's quite the athlete Baron Davis was. Uh, I don't. Well, I don't know. First of all, do you buy that he had a forty-eight inch vertical at the Lakers workout? <laughs> do I, I do buy, not? Do I buy it? <laughs> I do not buy it. Uh, no. I don't know what incentive they would have to lie about that, but it was. That's kind of an odd. I mean, that's just that's just ridiculously high. Like no. Yeah, I mean, I. I don't know. I. I I'm not. A, I'm not as high on either guy. Like just from an NBA perspective. I mean, I'm. I'm high on both guys in terms of are these guys going to put up crazy numbers? I think both of them are going to be excellent guys for fantasy. Uh, but I, I like Markkanen over both of them, which I think is a is an uncommon opinion. But I, I just think that uh, he will impact the game in, in more positive ways in terms of the 
the plus minus and and wins and losses than than Monk or Smith. All right, last one. I already know the answer, but I'm going to ask anyway, just for the sake of argument. Jason Tatum or Josh Jackson? Josh Jackson. I How have, close is it? I have Isaac ahead of Tatum. I have, I have Jackson Isaac Tatum as my ranking for those three. I think that's totally justified. Like I, I do think Jackson is probably the consensus guy. If you, if again, if you polled a bunch of people and asked, but there's there's a debate between between those three. I, I think there's there are teams out there that probably have Isaac ahead of both Jackson and Tatum. There's at least one team out there that probably has Tatum ahead of both. Um, I, think, I think Tatum's going to average, uh, you know, 22, 24, maybe 26 points a game in, in some of his best seasons. Like, I think he's going to score with ease. I just don't think he – like, he's the type of wing scorer that I don't think fits in today's NBA. Like, he, he's he's got a lot of Rudy Gay in him. Uh, I think he's a stretch four when it's all said and done who probably doesn't stretch the way you want him to. And I think Jackson and Isaac just have – they can contribute to winning a lot easier than I think Tatum can because Tatum's such an ISO player. Like, it's really tough to to go that, that route on the offensive end today, whereas Jackson and Isaac, I mean, both of them can really impact the game off the ball on offense. Isaac's a great lob finisher. Jackson is too, but Jackson's also a great passer. Uh, and Isaac's a, Isaac's a good shooter. Jackson might be able to become a good shooter, and they're both going to be extremely valuable defenders. So I just think that there's there's a lot more that Tatum has to kind of correct to be to fit in this this kind of style of NBA we're in right now. I feel like we keep hearing a lot of Paul Pierce comps for Tatum. I don't necessarily remember a young Paul Pierce all that much, but I I don't really see that. I think he's more athletic and he's he's quicker than than at least the Paul Pierce that I remember watching. Uh, but somebody asked him yesterday at, at media who the player is that he sees himself in or who he models his game after, and right away he just said Paul George. No follow up. He didn't even think about it. It was just uh, he thinks of himself as a Paul George type of player. Yeah, I mean, except. I mean that's fine. I, I Paul George is a way 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 better defender and a better shooter. Uh but yeah, I mean I I don't hate that from just a physical standpoint. Yeah, I, I think Paul George, you know, like uh, Tracy McGrady makes sense. Like to me I, I could see Tatum is you know as a high scoring 3. I, I the stretch 4 thing is there. Like in certain lineups and certain teams he can certainly do it, but I I don't think they look at him as all right, if we have to, if we had to just say what one position this guy is, he's a four. Like to me, he's a pretty clear three. I think ideally he's a four, uh, but you you would need the, the you'd need the right small forward and the right center for that to work. Uh, but he, I also think he could just be a guy like Paul George, who I think should be a four, but doesn't want to be a four. So he's a three, just in the sense that he doesn't want to be a four. Right. Uh, okay. Last exercise before we wrap this up. I just want to go through looking at last year's draft and pick out a couple prospects and ask you, knowing what we know now, so after their rookie year, where they would go if they were in this draft. So let's let's go with Brandon Ingram. If he, if he was if he played one season for the Lakers and was just thrown into this draft, uh, where would he rank or where would he come off the board tonight? Uh, I think 
seventh. Oh man, I I I don't argue with that. I'm not all that high in Ingram, but I, I think on the surface, I feel like that seems low. I mean, I think he goes. I think he goes after Fox and after Isaac. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay, what about Jalen Brown? I think he goes twelve. Twelve. So you you think teams value Markinen, Monk, Smith, Collins, Mitchell over him? I think they value Markinen, Monk, Smith. Some value Tilakina. Some value Donovan Mitchell. Some value Zach Collins. Some might even value Luke Kennard over Jalen Brown. Okay, what about Thon Maker? I think he goes like 15, 16. I think it depends. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are definitely teams that would rather have what we saw from Thon Maker than like Justin Jackson or like, John I think, Collins. I think almost every team would take Thon Maker over Enigbagu. And Enigbagu yeah. oh, is yeah. getting... He's getting like linked to like the late teens, so I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think yeah. Instead of saying you know what exact pick they would go, I think it's easier to say like where would they be grouped, like and, and what other prospects would you compare Thonmaker to? What about what about Chris Dunn? Uh, I mean, I think he goes like I don't know, like nineteen twenty. 22 yeah i think you'd have to start picking between like all right chris dunn or you know harry giles or chris dunn or dj wilson or semi ojale he's he's in that that tier to me right i mean even like even like chris dunn or joan evans like i mean yeah how many i mean i'm sure 15 20 teams might have done ahead of evans but i wouldn't be surprised if other teams had evans ahead of Dunn. okay last one what about ben simmons uh, I think he goes, I think it just really would depend on the team. I think some teams would take Fultz over him. I think some teams would take Fultz and Ball over him. Uh, there might be, you know, one or two or, you know, handful of teams that might take Jackson or, yeah, maybe, maybe less than five that might take Jackson over him. But I think uh in most most drafts he would go top three and a lot of drafts he'd go top two just i think it just really depends on who's picking up there because i think uh he's he's the same caliber prospect as fultz ball and jackson to me yeah i'd say no lower than four i think it'd be very hard to pass on him and you know in theory if you're if you're not going to hold Markel Fultz winning nine games against him it's hard to hold ben simmons no missing i mean it, it to me to me, the argument for Fultz over Simmons is uh, probably a better defender, definitely a better shooter. The argument for Ball over Simmons is better shooter. Uh, I mean, Jackson, just way better defender, similar shooter, similar, I mean, similar passer, honestly. Um, probably not going to run the point guard, but, I mean, brings brings the same level of, of high passing IQ at the, the forward spot. Okay, anything else you want to touch on before we wrap this up? Uh, no, I, I, I just think there's going to be a lot of trades tonight. I think so, too. I, I think last draft was really underwhelming. We had a lot of 
you know, the night of the draft, there were a lot of rumors and nothing came to fruition. And, you know, a year later, we look back and it was one of the worst, you know, rookie draft classes in a while. I think I think it's going to be the complete opposite, frankly, this year. I, I don't want to overhype it, but I think just what we were talking about now, you know, the guy who, you know, the, the, the players who, who were in the rookie of the year conversation last year, you know, would be borderline lottery picks in this draft. So, I mean, there's so much talent. And outside of that, we have the Jimmy Butler stuff, the Porzingis stuff, the Paul George stuff. Uh, it's going to be a completely wild night. Listen.